Hey there, awesome nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Pitch Slapped, the Pitch Perfect podcast. My name's Kayleigh Hillier, and this is the podcast where we just love to delve into anything to do with Pitch Perfect. We love it. Now, with Pitch Perfect, obviously there are some big couples that we all love to ship. The Chloe being one of them, Jekka being another, but there are also a whole load of other ship couples. People that have put two characters together and created a world with them in it. We've got Triple Treble, Mitchson, Bemily, Junkson. There's so many. Now, one that I don't know that much about, which we're dedicating this episode to today, is Chloe and Aubrey. The ship couple that is Chloe and Aubrey. So I went on a hunt to find people who loved the couple of Chloe and Aubrey. And I found some. And so I am going to be having, you might know them from Tumblr, as Hands in Akabitches, talking me through Chloe and Aubrey as a ship today. We're also going to be looking at some fan fiction highlights with Chloe and Aubrey as a ship couple. But first, let's delve into our news of the week. First off, this week has been jam-packed full of birthdays. Starting off, we had Becca Mitchell's birthday, big birthday in the fandom. Also, Skylar Austin celebrated his birthday, Ben Platt celebrated his birthday, and then at the end of the week, we also had Anna Camp celebrating her birthday. So many birthdays. And then on Monday... Hannah May Lee also had her birthday as well. So, so many pitch perfect birthdays to celebrate this week. I hope that you had a lot of cake celebrating them all. Some Anna Kendrick news. The Golden Globe Awards announced their lineup for the hosting of the Golden Globes. It's going to be hosted this year by James Corden, but they have got a host of celebrities doing little guest hosting as well with him and one of those is going to be Anna Kendrick so we might not have had a lot of Anna Kendrick content recently but don't worry because there's more coming and it's going to be happening on the Golden Globe Awards also on Friday 25th of September Skylar Austin's new show called The Secret Society of Second Born Royals came out on Disney Plus Basically, it's about being a second-born royal and having, like, special abilities. Also, if you're in the UK like me, well excited, because they also announced that Love Life is coming to BBC One and is going to be shown this coming Wednesday. I'm so excited. I know a lot of you Americans have already seen it. I've seen all the gifts on Tumblr. But let me have this moment, because I have been waiting so long to watch Love Life, and it's finally coming. I'll be talking about it so much over the next few days and you'll all be like, I've already been there. Just let me let me revel in this moment. And Brittany Snow's been quite busy with September Letters. She's been doing a number of little promos to promote September Letters. There was one a few, like a week or so ago with Billy, the dog. And this newest video that came out this week is her kind of all dressed up talking about September letters and the kind of holiday of writing letters and the importance of letter writing. But what I love about these little promo videos is you get to see Britney Snow just embracing 
her kind of cute dorkiness that just seems to come out and it's so endearing. It's fantastic. It's so fun to watch. And they're like little sketches. There's a serious undertone, but it's all made quite lighthearted. So it's well worth checking out. It's all on the September Letters Instagram account. And who doesn't love a little bit more of Britney Snow content? That's it for our actor news this week. We're going to be delving into some Chloe and Aubrey fan fiction highlights. I've been trying to kind of get myself into the world of Chloe and Aubrey. Obviously, there's so much to read that I'm probably going to miss stuff out. But I'm going to try and give some sort of highlights that you could check out. But first, let's delve into the world of Chloe and Aubrey. Okay, so I was perusing tumblr the other day a few weeks back and i saw a pop-up about chawbrey or corbrey week which was about aubrey and chloe and them as a ship couple and i've never really delved sort of delved into aubrey and chloe as a couple before and i was so intrigued so i did a little bit of digging and I have been very, very fortunate to find someone who has been shipping them for quite a long time and I figured would be the best person to talk to about this ship. So she has been in the fandom since the first movie and has also been writing in the Pitch Perfect fandom since 2013. A lot of her content centres around Chawbury, but she also delves into some other ships as well, including Triple Treble. Her most well-known fic originally was called Arrhythmia and it's still ongoing. It started in 2013. It has over 150 chapters and it's been ongoing for eight years and currently the series is called Matters of the Heart. She also manages a Chawbury Discord account which you can get involved in. So I thought who better than this person to kind of guide us as we explore a little bit more of Chloe and Aubrey as a ship couple. You might know her as Hands in Akabitches on Tumblr or on fanfiction.net she's known as Rabid Nar. It's Jalicia. Hi Jalicia. Hi. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm very excited to kind of delve into this ship. I'm excited to talk about it. Good, I'm glad. And hopefully we can kind of like really get our minds into the whole Chloe and Aubrey as a ship thing. So I feel like there's so much there that we can unpack. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Good. <laughs> now to start off, okay, I am really bad at reading things. And when I first saw the name, which is spelled C-H-A-U-B-R-E-Y, I wasn't sure how to say it. Okay. And Turns out I asked a number of questions on a few group chats and also on Tumblr and people are just as either confused or just not sure on how they should say the name. I'm just going to read a few comments from Tumblr. What I love about this as well is everybody seems to have an opinion on how it should be said. There's no like standardized like this is the way. So for example, we've had Aka Tired on Tumblr who says, I've always said it with a hard C, but maybe I'm wrong. So that would be Corbury. We've also had Ridiculously Overobsessed who says, I use CH, but if we go off of the way Chloe is pronounced, it's probably wrong. Also, 
what a cute name says. I say it like Aubrey, but with a CH sound in the front. We've also had Chawbrey like Charmander. I like it. That is by Theron. And lastly, Snowflake19 says, it's like chair. It is, isn't it? Don't make me question my sanity. Well, we're going to make you question your sanity today. So, hands in Akabitches. Jalicia, how would you pronounce Chloe and Aubrey's ship? I definitely pronounce it with the hard C-H as in Cobry. Cobry. I think then we can just all agree. I think from the source, it should be called Cobry. Can you just like give us a little explanation why you think it's said that way? I spoke to you on a group chat about this and I thought you had a really good explanation. Well, I feel like because ship names are always the names of the two characters combined, it doesn't make sense to me to pronounce it with the soft CH because you don't say Chloe, you say <laughs> Chloe. So that would, it would make more sense for it to be Cobry. So that makes so much, when you, when you actually describe it, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, but you were also present for the whole argument on the group chat where everybody had their own opinions and the reasons behind it. I, I must admit, so I jumped into this Corbury or Chawbury group chat and I felt so bad because I asked this question and people were very opinionated on how it should be said. I was like, oh man, I, don't, I hope they don't like hate me for like blowing up the server. <laughs> you definitely blew it up a little bit with that question. I have never <laughs> seen it all so heated over something. Well, I'm glad it's all calmed down now. Please don't shoot me if I'm saying it wrong or it's not the way you think it should be said. But we're going to try and stick to Corbury today. We can try. <laughs> I mean, the weirdest one I, I saw, I spoke to someone and they were said, well, why doesn't it have more of Chloe's name in it? So shouldn't it be called Clawbury? So it's C-H-L with Aubrey. And that just sounds really odd. That sounds really violent, like clobber. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue quite as well. Clawbury. <laughs> I feel like it has a lot of Aubrey's personality in it if it's like clobber. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Maybe. But I think we'll stick to uh, Corbury for today. I like it. Like you said, it sounds more like Chloe and Aubrey because, yeah, we don't say Chloe with a CH. It just doesn't happen. I don't think I've ever like seen a ship name where it's pronounced differently than the character's actual name. It is weird, though, because when you first look at the word, you're just like, oh, it's a CH, so it's a ch sound. And yeah, just don't connect the dots. Yeah, I think I thought that at the beginning, too. And then I put some thought into it and just decided I was wrong. So you've been shipping Colbury for a long time. Since 2013. So literally, like, since the first movie? Yeah, I guess a few months after it came out. So what is it about Chloe and Aubrey that you love? I don't know. I guess when I was watching the first movie, that was the ship that attracted my attention right after the, like, right off the bat. Because I always saw it as Aubrey not only being mad at Becca for trying to take over the Bellas, but also possibly being a little bit in love with Chloe. Which, to be fair, I think a lot of people could see that. So I do find it quite interesting when you have fics where Aubrey's a little bit jealous. I find that Aubrey was probably very jealous over Becca and Chloe getting close through the first movie. It almost hits Aubrey in two different sides. You've got her love of the Bellas and her captaincy of that. 
and then also her best friend or you know if we're writing Chalk Corbury, it, her relationship and this person that's kind of coming in and threatening all of that. Yeah, and they're so intermingled too because Chloe was the only person that really stuck with Aubrey and the Bellas after everything that happened. That's very true. I always love watching the beginning of Pitch Perfect 1 and just the, just the little like looks and the dynamism between the two of them, especially at the, the first performance, like... Chloe's the only one who runs up to Aubrey when she's throwing up and just that, you know, the closeness that they have that's shown in just those small beginnings of the movie. Yeah, I feel like they're probably best friends from the beginning because, you know, the rest of the Bellas didn't really seem to like either of them very much. No, it was a rocky start, wasn't it, in the senior year? Yeah, a little bit. So for you, what scenes sparked Corbrey? Because we don't get loads of scenes, but there are a few that must have kind of connected for you. I mean, the whole movie kind of just spoke to me that way. I don't know if I can pick out any particular scenes that I was like, yes, that one. So it's kind of like an accumulation of what this, everything that happened kind of brought it all together. Yeah. I love that. I love that it, it's just those like, all those moments kind of compiled into creating this ship and creating these two characters that you just love to kind of put together. Yeah, I'm a very big picture kind of thinker. So all the scenes just kind of intermingle together for me. All the little things that create the big scene that you have. And what two fascinating characters to kind of have together. They're very opposite of each other. Yes. It's funny because I feel like Becca and Chloe are opposites, but then Aubrey and Chloe are opposites in a completely different way. Agreed. And then you have Aubrey and Becca, which is even worse. <laughs> yeah, that's not, we're not even going to delve into Mitchson today. I mean, that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole other place. <laughs> we could spend hours just going into each of them. <laughs> I mean, who would really mind? <laughs> that is true. I mean, I could do this all day. So if we were to take the characters, because we've got Aubrey Posen and Chloe Beale, and we just kind of looked at each one of them because they, they each kind of bring their own things to the relationship. So what do you see as Aubrey's backstory? You know, I've delved into Aubrey's backstory and a lot of the stuff that I write, and I see it as probably a little bit traumatizing. I really? I mean, she doesn't really ever talk about her mother. It's only her father, and he clearly doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to her. So I think everything she does is just set to please him and please everybody else just to feel like she's doing a good job at something. Definitely. I think it's interesting. She obviously looks up to her dad. I think that's quite apparent in the fact that she references things that he says and she's always talking about him, but also the pressure that that seems to put on her at the same time. Yeah, agreed. The complete opposite to that is, is obviously you've then got Chloe, who... I've always sort of summarized as the sunshine character. She's always positive. She has ability to put a positive spin on everything. So what would you say would be your backstory for Chloe? Because we don't get a lot of insights with Chloe. We really don't. I always, when I write, I always write her as being very close to her parents. And that's kind of why she has so much self-confidence. You know, she has a lot of good support systems. Whereas Aubrey, I mean, definitely doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you don't really hear anything from Aubrey's mother, but 
we do get an insight into her relationship with her dad, which kind of really seems to have an effect on her and the way that she lives her life. Yeah, and Chloe really never mentions her parents in any way like that. No, we don't really get any insight into Chloe's family or anything like that, which is interesting that you would put her with quite a good relationship with her parents. I know a lot of authors who choose to give her quite a bad relationship because she never mentions them. That's one thing I love about Chloe is her self-confidence. She just, she's able to kind of radiate this happiness and just positivity. She's able to sort of find it even in like the darkest of times at the beginning of Pitch Perfect 1, when things look so bleak, she's just like, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. She radiates optimism like the sun radiates light, basically. Yeah, I love that. That is, that is definitely it. Yes. So with these two characters that are quite, like you said, are quite opposites, how would you say they work as a couple? I think they really balance each other out. They have a lot of what the other needs. Uh, Chloe may not be quite as organized as Aubrey. I generally see her as a little bit all over the place. So Aubrey provides that stability and organization. And Aubrey doesn't always look on the bright side. She seems like she might be a little more pessimistic. So Chloe can really come in there and tell her, hey, maybe everything is not that bad. Definitely. I love that. And from a few of the fics that um, people have sent me, that's one thing that I loved reading. Chloe is not organized at all. And sort of Aubrey's there to kind of help keep her on track a little bit. (laughs) She's a bit more of a go with the flow type of person. And then at the same time, she then balances Aubrey out, just taking down the intensity a little bit, some of the pressure Um, and just helping her through things that maybe in her mind she's creating too much of an issue with. I must admit, I I am quite the big Chloe shipper, but it's amazing to then kind of delve into different dynamics and different relationships and just see how people pull these characters together. And, you know, I like, I never was really into Mitchson before until I read a fic where it put those two together and was written so well that I could see Becca and Aubrey as, as a couple. And it's very similar to, to Corbrey as well. Yeah, I didn't even think about them as a couple until I read a few Triple Trouble fix, And then I was like, whoa, they actually could fit together really well, even if they do hate each other. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Just lots of angry hate sex. <laughs> Obviously, like, you can create stories around Corbrey from lots of different perspectives, But I was just interested for you, when you watched Pitch Perfect 1, do you see them already together or potentially getting together before or sort of after the ICCAs? I have like a hundred different scenarios that float around inside my head. I never really stick to just one. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Chloe and Aubrey have been living alone in that Bella's house for an entire year. So there's (laughs) definitely something that's been going on in there. (laughs) I love it. That is so true. Like, <laughs> There's nobody else living there in that big house. It's just them. I've never seen anybody write a fanfic that centers around the fact that the two of them are living alone in that house together. There you go. Somebody write it. Somebody Come besides on. me, please. <laughs> One thing I think is really interesting with Chloe and Aubrey is that unlike the rest of the Bellas, they've known each other for like good three years before the movie. So I like to, in my head, the headcanon would be that they met their freshman year. 
Yeah, I generally imagine they probably met at auditions. Maybe they didn't hit it off right away, but they definitely had to spend a lot of time together after that. I kind of like that idea, though, that potentially maybe there, not that necessarily there was friction, but I can imagine Aubrey struggling with somebody like Chloe and just her personality. Just She's so open. She's very go with the flow about things that for someone who's quite regimented might really, really struggle with. Yeah, I always like to write Aubrey kind of off doing her own thing and Chloe just popping out out of nowhere like, hey, I bought you lunch, best friend. How are you doing today? And Aubrey just kind of being like, I think I saw you once at auditions. What's your name again? (laughs) Just person just keeps popping up in her life and just disrupting the order of what she's doing. In a very stalkerish sort of way. People love stalker Chloe. I don't know what it is. We talked about this the other week in the podcast of of Chloe's stalkerous nature. And she I don't know what it is someone. either. <laughs> like, I think with any other character, I would find it really creepy. But then with her, we're all like, it's so endearing. I wish she'd stalk me too. <laughs> yeah. And I love the idea that Audrey is such a focused character. Like she's, she can be really track one track minded. And when she focuses on something, she's going to give it her like 110%. And so she's so focused on one thing that she wouldn't see the likes of Chloe coming. And then Chloe would just pop up. Just directly behind her, staring at her. (laughs) Which was almost made me believe, like, do you think there could have been pining between the two of them? I almost, I could almost see Aubrey in one of two ways. One where she's kind of she really likes Chloe but she's trying to process that and it doesn't really fit with her regime of what she's doing um or the other side of that is where she would almost be quite oblivious because she's too focused and Chloe actually really likes her it's hard for me to decide on just one of those because I've always had both scenarios floating around in my head that it could be either one so let's jump to pitch perfect one where we have the incident at the beginning of the movie where Aubrey throws up How do you see that affecting their relationship or them as a friendship or as a couple or anything like that? I think that it probably brought them closer at first because after that, all of the other Bellas kind of abandoned Aubrey and you see that Chloe really stuck with her through that. And I think that it was the other Bellas joining that maybe drove a wedge between them. I've always thought that it was quite courageous of Aubrey that an incident like that would happen, which unfortunately, you know, it's on her head because it happened, you know, she threw up on stage, but she has the courage to stick with it. She could have left and just kind of put her head down and decided, you know, that was enough, but no, she's going to stick with it. um, And even be the captain to try and right the wrong that happened. I have a lot of thoughts about it. (laughs) I really (laughs) Like, if you really stop and think about that particular event, that's a really traumatizing moment. So if she were to just step down and give up, that would be held over her head, I mean, at least in her mind, for probably the rest of her life. Her only real option to get rid of that is to kind of do it right the second time around. I love that. That's such an Aubrey thing is as well as just this um, doing it right, you know, righting the wrong that happened, especially because it's something that was so 
public. It's recorded, it's on YouTube. You know, anybody could pull that video up at any moment. Yeah, I really enjoy writing trauma. And so I have this book of writing characters who have endured a trauma. And I never would have even thought about how that would have affected her so seriously until recently when I came across that passage in the book about public humiliation and how characters would react to that. And one of the things in the book was how they get hyper-focused and they feel that they have to redo something in order to fix it. That's really interesting. That is so Aubrey right there. Yeah, there was an entire list of things in the book and almost every single thing I could put a check mark beside it for Aubrey's personality. Which is what I, I love about when you watch that beginning of the movie, Chloe comes in and is literally right there next to her. She like runs over um, and is, the, is literally the only one. Some of the Bellas are kind of running away and she's the only one coming to her friend on that stage. Yeah, and I'm really sad we didn't get a whole scene of that because I can't remember what interview it was in, but Anna Camp once said that the scene was actually a whole lot longer of her up there vomiting and Chloe trying to make it all better. Really? Yeah, I can't remember. It was a long time ago that I heard it, but it was in some interview that she had done. That's amazing. There's potentially more that we just don't know about that whole scene and and just those two as a friendship or as a couple, like I just really loved that powerful moment where you just see Chloe running over and it was just her. And um, even before that moment with the scenes that you get at the, the beginning of the movie with the Bellas, it's always kind of the little looks between Chloe and Aubrey. Um, I was analyzing it the other day and um, just before they go on stage, obviously you got the troublemakers performing and there's like a little look that Chloe gives Aubrey just to like check in that she's okay because Alice has just shot her down and uh, and Chloe just like looks and just Aubrey gives her a nod like I'm okay I'm okay I've got this it just showed their closeness and clearly like Chloe knows what Aubrey's like and it's just kind of like that little way of checking in with her just before they go on stage and I hadn't really clocked that before I hadn't really like hooked into those little moments See, I saw all of those little moments right off the bat, and that's kind of what drove me to love them so much. It's amazing how it's just those, those little looks, those little things that can just like pull it all together and, and create this kind of storyline, this couple that you, you know I never saw before until sort of I really started to look for Chalbury or Corbury in, in the story. It definitely shows that they know each other really well. Definitely, yes. And even then sort of later on in the film, you've got moments where sort of Chloe's trying to calm Aubrey down and make sure everything's going. And I love the difference between the two of them. Then enters Becca. The thing about Becca that always makes me laugh is she didn't want to be in any of this. And here she is completely disrupting all of it. (laughs) I think Becca's quite interesting because... Becca, I get the impression from watching her, she want, when she does something, she likes doing it right. And you, know, you can see that with her mixes. She'll spend a heck of a lot of time making sure that whatever she's focusing on goes really well. And um, she jumps into the Bellas. And you can see why she's getting frustrated because she's like, this is stupid. She almost wants to achieve as much as Aubrey does, but they both like knock heads the whole time. 
I feel like at the end, though, when Aubrey finally realized she was wrong, that probably led to her appreciating Becca more and seeing what a hard worker she was, because they're both the same in that aspect. Yeah, definitely. Almost too similar in, in moments um, that they just blind each other from seeing what potentially could be there. I mean, they're exactly the same and completely different all at the same time. <laughs> One thing I think is quite interesting with Aubrey, she like writes off Becca from the moment she first sees her. I mean, the way Aubrey dresses is a very sort of prim and proper, you know, it's very clean cut. And Becca's like, none of that. She's got tattoos, she's got ear piercings. Like, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't even look like a Bella. She's, yeah, it just doesn't work in her mind. Well, I mean, at that point, who looks like a Bella besides Aubrey and Chloe? <laughs> but it's almost that, like, preconception that stops her from wanting to move forward with Becca. And the fact that Chloe drags this person in, that she's just like, why? Why would you bring this person in? <laughs> yeah, one of the only reasons Becca joins is Chloe's persistence. Um, and obviously, obviously her dad. But if Chloe hadn't had that moment with Becca sort of barging into the shower and saying, okay, now you need to go on an audition. She probably wouldn't have thought twice about going to join the Bellas. I mean, if she hadn't joined, that would have gone even more downhill than it already did. So fortunately she did join. Yeah, but it's all Chloe's fault. And Aubrey's like, why? (laughs) That's how I think they balance each other out a lot because Chloe also knows what Aubrey needs when Aubrey doesn't. I love that. I, have, I love that whole idea that Chloe can see that when Aubrey can't see it. Aubrey will just keep going in a very focused way and maybe just not see the needs that are there. Chloe's like, she's so caring sometimes, or it comes across in like fan fiction and stuff. All these oblivious characters that seem to be written with Chloe Beale. With regards to Corbrey then, and Pitch Perfect 1, what I find really interesting with Chloe and Aubrey is they're supposed to be co-captains. And because Aubrey's so hyper-focused and she wants to get this right, it all comes to a head later on in the movie when they have this big fight. So how do you see their relationship through that period of time? I think she was probably frustrated, but she's also not one to really speak her mind in that sort of way. So I'm sure that she was maybe talking with Becca a little bit about how she felt. One thing I think I've always thought about Chloe is that she's quite a people pleaser, that she'll quite happily go along with someone to keep the peace and kind of please someone until she's pushed too far. And it's interesting that you would say that maybe she needs somebody to kind of bounce off of or to to just vent to, and, and it could be Becca who does that. But it also makes me think that Aubrey then is quite alone Or especially in Pitch Perfect 1, she almost isolates herself out from the other Bellas. I mean, yeah, throughout that entire movie, I thought a lot on how lonely that must be to be in charge of this entire group of people that don't really seem to like her or agree with her. And it's very clear that it's a real struggle because I'm not saying Aubrey's a bad leader, but the fact that they couldn't even get like on three or after three right is like, must really frustrate her. You know, it should be the most simplest of things. And it's just not gelling. For some reason, it just doesn't gel and she can't figure out why. 
you know what, that on three or after three is actually really difficult if you've ever tried to do it in person. I used to work at a job where after our team meetings, we would say go on three, but it just kind of was everybody saying go at a different moment with all our hands in the center. (laughs) (laughs) And for somebody who wants to sort of get it right, she's probably there going, why can't we just, come on guys, just do it. Just do it. I felt that on a personal level. I can imagine what was going through her head in that moment where she's saying on three and everybody's (laughs) doing it after three. And then you wonder why Aubrey's so stressed. I mean, it's all right. <laughs> These people don't even know how to count. Yeah. So we get to kind of the end of Pitch Perfect 1. One thing that I love coming to the end of Pitch Perfect 1 is how de-stressed Aubrey seems to be when you watch her at the, the final performance. It's like a complete change. The weight has been lifted. Yeah, and I wish that we had seen more a little bit on how she comes to that point because nobody does that complete 180 without going through a few different emotions to get there. I mean, we get little glimpses of that with the fight scene where it all just blows up and all the people's opinions and feelings come out. It's always really heartbreaking as well that like whether you see them as a couple then or you don't, like Chloe doesn't tell her about her nodes Yeah, that was really hard for me to process because, I mean, throughout watching the entire movie, the kind of dynamic I saw between them would be even if they were fighting, that's something that she would still tell Aubrey about. When you then got the pool scene and and the the fact that Aubrey chooses the track, having to let go of, of a structure or things that she thought she needed, but actually seeing the other side of that and appreciating that maybe this new way really could work. Although we don't get to see maybe the whole process for that, you get little glimpses. One of the things that I always thought, though, in my own sort of headcanons is the fact that there must have been some conversations after that between Chloe and Aubrey that between them working together and also Becca to bring this performance together at, at the end, where clearly, like, Aubrey's so over the moon with it. She loves it. See, I would have loved to seen more of that, of them putting together this new set and really talking together about it. Definitely, because I can imagine Aubrey having quite a lot of input in just keeping the structure that doesn't go all freewheeling. And then Chloe with choreography and, and them as co-captains kind of guiding Becca to get the track, keeping the sort of Bella's feel, but then with this new, new take that Be- Becca brings in on the side. I think if we had seen a scene like that, we definitely would have understood their character growth a little bit more. And I wish that they had put that in the movie. That would have been so good. We could see how they got from one point to that final scene. When you watch the final performance and then you see Aubrey, like, you know, she takes off her jacket, she takes off, you know, she undoes her hair. This is the person, you know, so regimented and like, don't change anything. Now being like, so willing to kind of just get into the moment. I would have loved to see what comes after that too, where they're all celebrating out together. I just want to see more of that character growth. And, and that kind of leads me to my next kind of thought, really. Chloe doesn't graduate. What, an, you know, what effect do you see that having on their relationship? That's something that I haven't put a lot of thought into because while I love all three of the movies, I see them all so individual where a lot of the characterization I feel doesn't match up. Sometimes I feel like I'm looking at 
three different Chloe's. It's really hard to think about the thought process and how they would have felt behind that because I'm not sure what made them jump from how they were in the first movie to the personalities they had in the second or the third. I've always found Chloe interesting because she's the character I feel like lost the most in in the movement through the movies to Pitch Perfect 3. And I'm like, what what happened to this character? I love Chloe, but she's so different in Pitch Perfect 3 than Pitch Perfect 1. I thought it was interesting how she went from this really confident character to going on to basically being Aubrey in the second movie. And then in the third movie being kind of ditzy. Especially because Chloe is like the confident flirt in the first movie. And then just is not able to do that at all in the third movie. You're like, what happened? This is one of the things that I loved about Chloe is she was so confident with people and people she liked. And, you know, she would dive right in there and then Pitch Perfect 3 comes along and she just like, she has an inability to do any of that. Yeah, I've kind of separated all three movies in my mind. It's really hard for me to understand how we got from one to two to three. So I just see them all as three separate entities. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I loved Aubrey in Pitch Perfect 3 because she seemed to have grown a lot as a character or like she's not as uptight as she used to be. Whether people follow that or not, I don't know. You know, aside from that scene about the doula, which I still can't really wrap my brain around what happened or if that was just improv or what the writers were thinking, I think Pitch Perfect 3 Aubrey was probably my favorite. Oh, really? I mean, she was definitely a lot softer and more adorable, but I also couldn't really connect her personality to Pitch Perfect 1 Aubrey at all. I'd love to just delve a little bit into Pitch Perfect 2 because when I was telling people that I was going to talk about uh, Corbury today, they're always fascinated with how the relationship between Chloe and Aubrey would have worked when Chloe fails Russian lit, not only one time, but like three times. I just want to know why it was Russian lit every single time. (laughs) Like they kind of switched it up a little bit. I mean, is that the only class she's taking at this point? She's probably taken them all failing that many times. <laughs> that is true. Like, why Russian lit? Like, what was it? Maybe she just really liked Russian. <laughs> I don't know. I want to know why she was even taking Russian lit to become a veterinarian. <laughs> it probably seems more more of an Aubrey class to me. Maybe she joined it with Aubrey and then just didn't work out. I definitely can see that happening. Aubrey convinces her to join that class, and the whole thing is just a disaster. <laughs> Because a lot of people gave me opinions on what they thought how their relationship would have been because Chloe sticks around with the Bellas. Do you think that they would have fallen out over it? Or maybe she doesn't understand, but she's supportive. Or like, do you think it would have put a strain on their relationship? I think if we're going by Aubrey at the end of the first movie, she probably would have not understood, but still been supportive of it in my mind. Because I can imagine her having this plan for graduation, like what her and Chloe are going to do, and Aubrey almost having, not she wouldn't be controlling over other people's lives, but she would have accounted for it in her life and what they were going to maybe get up to. And that plan kind of goes out the window when her best friend is not going to be graduating with her. So like you said, I can imagine she wouldn't understand, but it would probably quite be quite upsetting. 
I've always kind of thought that she would still be there for Chloe, like their best friend. She's not going to just abandon her because she doesn't agree or doesn't understand why. And I can imagine maybe the first year, like you can accept the fact that, okay, you, you failed the class. You've got to do it again. Maybe after the second year, you'll be like, um, what's going on here? Like, did you really fail it again? Or is it like, is this intentional? Because by the third year, you've got to be like, Chloe, what happened? Like, what are you doing? I definitely think it would have been interesting and funny for Chloe to have not admitted she was intentionally failing this class and to just fail it over and over and over with Aubrey sitting in the background thinking, shouldn't you have all of this memorized? You could teach the class at this point. Are you even going to class? Are you even enrolled in this class? <laughs> Did you go to the exam? Like, almost imagine Aubrey like coming in just with an intervention, being like, right, I'm going to sit here and you're going to study and you're going to attend that class. You need to graduate. You know, I can see Chloe is the type of person that probably slept through some of her classes <laughs> and Aubrey was there to wake her up and shove her out the door. Definitely. <laughs> So I can definitely see Aubrey coming back and being like, I'm going to attend this class with you, even if I'm not enrolled in Barton anymore. <laughs> I love it. I think that's great. And especially although Aubrey's life carries on and, and Chloe stays in Barton, they're still, they're still talking and they still have a relationship. Like they, they don't fall out over this. How do you see the retreat with Aubrey? Because some people love it that she ends up running a retreat and some people really don't like it. I'm pretty neutral about it because on one hand, I loved that scene and I could definitely see Aubrey working with business people. But on the other hand, I'm a little confused because Aubrey always struck me as somebody who would be CEO of a company or a lawyer or something really magnificent and then here in the end she's directing other people who are probably in the job that I imagined her having there's something that a lot of people kind of I think struggle with with Aubrey is just like you've always seen her as like oh you're going to become a lawyer or a doctor or like somebody who really focuses on a career and like moves forward with it and for whatever happens in those two three years between those two movies you're just like I would never have put you in that position yeah I feel like she kind of almost lowered her standards for herself to be in that kind of career not that it's a bad career it's just not something I would have seen her doing and I don't know about you but I always I always struggled with it because Aubrey needed other people to help her with the balance like she, it just brought out a bad side of her she almost got a little bit out of control with it now she's in a career where she's doing that all the time and you're thinking this could like really potentially lead to something really bad happening just being too hyper focused trying to get these people to do what you want to do and yet in the second movie they show her that she seems to enjoy her job even though in the third movie she hates it so that's why i have such a disconnect between all three movies something just doesn't really add up there i mean i know a lot of people just like look at pitch perfect three and go we're just going to like skip over that one. like, <laughs> Which I find is kind of funny because I'm probably one of the only people who thinks this, but Pitch Perfect 3 is actually my favorite. Oh, really? I thought it was hilarious and incredibly enjoyable, even if it was kind of its own movie and completely out there. <laughs> I didn't I realize I was going to see an action film, but there I was. <laughs> 
So let's delve into Pitch Perfect 3, then we've got Pitch Perfect 3. Um, one question that somebody asked me that I'd love to get your opinion on, Aubrey, as a military family, so a lot of people are quite fascinated with the sort of military family ideal and, and everything, and obviously Aubrey's come, we know Aubrey's come from some of that. How, in your mind, does the sort of military family work and, and affect Aubrey? You know, I don't know a whole lot about military families. Um, I guess they apparently move around a lot, but I once nannied for one, and they had a house that they always return to. So I kind of just go with what I know, and that's what I imagine in my mind. I'm not really knowledgeable about all of that stuff. That's really interesting, though, that from your experience, you've seen um, a certain aspect of that. I do think, though, that the, the military background kind of knowing that about Aubrey's backstory explains a lot about who she is. Yeah, I mean, with the family that I worked for and the experience that I had with that father, he was a very strict man. He had really high expectations and he wanted things to go the way that he wanted them to go. So that's generally how I imagine Aubrey's family would have been like. The mom didn't really have a whole lot of say. She just kind of rolled with it. One of the questions that somebody asked me, knowing Aubrey's feelings towards Chloe, and at the end of Pitch Perfect 3, Chloe ending up with a guy from the military, how do you think she would have felt? See, the end of Pitch Perfect 3, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. And are we, like, really thinking Chloe is going to stay with this guy that she just (laughs) met a few weeks prior and is now claiming her undying love for? Aubrey's probably over here thinking it's just another fling. (laughs) her pining is just like i need to get my act together come on seriously chloe what are you doing i mean honestly going into aubrey's brain she's probably like i mean out of anyone i thought it would have been becca she's just confused i think we were all confused at the end of pitch perfect three to be fair how do you think chloe and relation and aubrey's relationship would have gone with regards to brooklyn I've never really thought about it. I feel like all of us who ship Cabri kind of just scratch that out in our brains and never really take that into consideration. Generally, we either veer off right after Pitch Perfect 1 and go our own way, or we skip ahead or write AU or something. Especially with regards to Brooklyn, that's a very Chloe moment. If you were going to look at Corbury, I could see them getting together before then. And like you said, it would go off in its own storyline. I'm still wondering how Chloe, Becca, and Fat Amy ended up in Brooklyn to begin with, because Becca was originally going to L.A., which somehow isn't that where Jessie ended up? Maybe that's why she moved to New York. (laughs) Yeah, maybe there's just, like, something happened there. We're not going to talk about it, but, like... What amazes me with Chloe is, like, she's living in New York or Brooklyn, and it's not the cheapest place to live. And it's really not. I've lived there. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I and had to move. <laughs> she didn't have a plan. Like, not that you need a plan, but um, to sort of jump into somewhere like that where you you weren't quite sure, and then you're kind of interning to become a vet. That's really hard. I'm trying to figure out how they were all paying for that apartment <laughs> because Fat Amy was clearly not putting in any money. Becca seems to be the only one who had a real actual paying job and from my knowledge of living there generally you have to cram 10 people into an apartment and still you're poor and can only eat ramen 
Yeah, I can appreciate but, why Becca might be might be stressed at the beginning of Pitch Perfect three. A little bit. <laughs> but I find it interesting that Aubrey stayed where she was and it was all three of them that moved to Brooklyn because generally when you read Cobbery Fix, a lot of them are actually set in New York. Oh really? Yeah, I'd say a grand majority of the ones that I've read have all been set somewhere in that general area. Maybe not Brooklyn, but, you know, in Queens or Manhattan or somewhere in one of the boroughs. Why do you think that is? Is that because the people see Aubrey in a much more, like, business type of job? And obviously you would go somewhere like New York for that. I think that New York really fits Aubrey's personality. Um, it's definitely not, people think that New York is full of really mean people, but it's more that people are really fast paced and they're really goal oriented. They have something they want to do and they do it. Becca, Chloe and Amy are literally the place where Aubrey should be. Yeah. And there are, I mean, I could definitely see Becca living in New York, but Chloe, I feel like would have probably taken a little while to adjust because New York is not a place where you make a whole group of friends or you're friendly to people. I mean, generally when I was walking down the streets, if someone said hi to me, I assumed they were a serial killer. So to have Chloe there trying to say hi to everyone, I imagine they're all walking in the opposite direction of her. So I think that might've been a really lonely place for Chloe to live. I can imagine her being someone that, yeah, she does talk to people in the street. I mean, if I'm in London and I'm on the tube, so if somebody talks to you, just like, what the heck, what are you doing? And I can imagine her also just liking space. Not that she would be a country type of person, but I think she would enjoy open spaces and just having the air to breathe, which is a little bit more difficult to do in somewhere as compact as, as New York. Yeah, I can agree. I mean, I could see Chloe living where I live right now, which is Austin, Texas, because there's a whole big group of people. It's a city, but at the same time, most people have a lot of friends. It's very friendly. You say hi to everybody that you walk past. Whereas in New York, it's very packed. And I mean, you may say hi to somebody that you've known for the past five years, but you're not making a whole lot of new friends on a day-to-day -day basis. Or Chloe, just go and live at the retreat with Aubrey. I still have a lot of questions about that retreat. <laughs> I mean... I'm still trying to figure out where it was physically located because it seemed like such a long drive, but then they made it seem like it was right across the lake. I'm still confused. <laughs> it was close enough they could kind of go back in one day, but far enough away that they couldn't leave when they got there. Like Becca couldn't just turn around and walk out very easily. <laughs> that retreat just has my mind a little boggled. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, though, I'm, I'm, I get the impression Aubrey likes to sort of weld a gun just around. <laughs> She's from a military family. So she knows how to handle firearms. I mean, I personally wanted more scenes of Aubrey holding a rifle shooting things and Becca just being in the background completely horrified and <laughs> Chloe just standing there with that giant smile like it's all fine. Definitely. You know, I've always wrote Chloe as someone who doesn't really like guns. I could see um, that. In one of my stories, I wrote them trap shooting, which they were shooting clay pigeons. And even that, Chloe was just like, yeah, I'm good. I think I'll sit off to the side. <laughs> so when she goes to the Posen sort of family meetup, she's like, you guys go and do that. I'll wait here. 
I wish more people wrote Chloe meeting Aubrey's family and seeing what that would look like exactly and how not only she reacts to them, but how they react to her. How do you see that playing out? Because obviously knowing the type of background Aubrey's come from, Chloe, I can just almost see like a cannonball going in. I've never put a whole lot of thought into it because generally I think about things in regards to how I want to write them. And it's never something that has come up in one of my stories. But I guess thinking about it, I feel like Aubrey would be kind of the person that's like, trust me, Chloe, you don't want to meet them. And it being years before she finally does. (laughs) But it would also be funny if Aubrey thinks it's going to go terribly and Chloe just totally blends in and has a great time. That's the thing with Chloe is I do think she's quite a people person. I'm sure it would be terrifying for Aubrey, but I can imagine her being able to work people quite well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think there's probably ever been a person that hasn't liked Chloe Beale. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> what, about, what about Aubrey meeting Chloe's family? Because I can imagine her just being so nervous. But if they're anything like Chloe, it would just be like a big family meal and they're all just chatting away. I always see her going in as nervous and then Chloe's family like completely overwhelming her. But then as time goes on, her just becoming like significantly like closer to them, but trying to seem annoyed because they're always coddling her. <laughs> I love it. That would, that would be so good. I mean, I've seen a lot of stories where people write Aubrey interacting with Chloe's family. Definitely more I've seen than I've seen Chloe interacting with Aubrey's. And it's interesting because everybody writes that scenario so differently. I've never seen it done exactly the same. That's one of the great things, though, with like fan fiction. You know, authors can take a similar scene and have their own spin on how it would play out with these characters. Yeah, and the one thing I love about Chloe is there's so little spoken about her family that you can go in any direction that you want to. So you've been obviously writing about Corbury and also reading the fan fiction. What are some of your favorite stories that involve these two characters? You know, I don't actually read a whole lot, at least not lately. And also, there's not a whole lot of things out there to read. So most of my favorites are some of the older stories. I really love the Dixie Chicks series um, series of three separate fics by, I'm not sure what her name is now, but her old name was, I think, Quake and Bake. You sent that one to me. I loved it. I did. My particular favorite out of those three is probably Sin Wagon. I just thought it encaptured Aubrey really well with how things might have gone after they won the finals. It was really in character. It was really well written. It showed the Cabri dynamic. I mean, exactly how I would have imagined it. And, and those fics, for those who haven't read them, they are like three snapshots almost into the Corbury dynamic, one that's kind of from Aubrey's perspective when she starts at Barden. Then you've got one from kind of Chloe's perspective. And then you've got one after the ICCAs. Yeah, I particularly love the scene where they were all in the bar together and you really saw Aubrey getting along with Becca. I think at one point she like one of them stole a fry or something from the <laughs> other one and she was all giggling. It was lovely to kind of see Aubrey just let her hair down a little bit after, after you read her, 
you know, in such an uptight way, she can let her hair down. She can relax a little bit. <laughs> I think those stories really explained Aubrey in a way that I wish the movie would have shown her grow a little bit more to make her character growth more understandable. So what about as a writer then, when you're writing Corbury, what type of things do you like to include about their relationship? I really like showing what was probably going on behind the scenes, particularly in Pitch Perfect 1, and what dynamic they must have had living in that house all alone together, especially after Chloe and Becca met, and it had to be really tense in that house with just the two of them. Yeah, especially after the, um, the whole kickoff, after the semifinals, you kind of think, how, how did they get along? So, like you said, they're the only two in that house. So you set up Corbury Week? I did. I was bullied into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how did, that, how did that start? Like, where did it come from? You know, there used to be a Corbury week, uh, week a long time ago. I'm not sure who ran it. I never even participated in it. And then I guess whoever ran it just stopped. And a few months ago, somebody had mentioned that they wished that somebody would pick that back up. And everybody seemed to vote that that person should be me. So eventually, after a lot of talking about it, I finally just said, okay, let's do it. And we literally had Corby Week. And what I find funny is all of these people were like, do it, do it, do it. And then only like two or three people even participated. <laughs> which props to them because their stuff was absolutely amazing and it was really nice to see that at least a few people were out there trying because had like nobody done anything that probably would have been really awkward <laughs> well it's nice to see that there's like that Corbury has a following it's interesting because when I was looking at fanfics there's a lot more Corbury earlier on written and then more recently there's a lot less this is true, and I used to actually be pretty good friends with a lot of those people who used to write it, and I know the only reason they really stopped was that life got in the way. Um, quite a few of them are still readers, they just don't write anymore. Why do you think that newer people to the fandom or stuff are just not picking up on Colbury? You know, a lot of people are probably not going to like me for this answer, but I feel like everything is so Chloe focused and if you're writing anything else you feel like you don't really fit into the fandom so I think a lot of people just say well why even do it or they do write and nobody notices I mean if you go on like AO3 or fanfiction.net and you type in pitch perfect you've got sometimes you've got to scroll a heck of a lot before you get anything other than Chloe. yeah I mean you really really do like Generally, I'll try to, like, filter it because now that fanfic.net has the ability to put in, like, Aubrey and Chloe. But then half the time, the only stories I see are my own because nothing's been updated since 2014. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, you have a, probably a whole bunch of people who, if they've joined more recently, just don't know where to find it or don't know where to find people who are into those things. I think that's why, like, a lot of, like, the old people kind of were just like, you know, I'm going to focus on my life or another fandom now instead of sticking around because if you don't write Big Chloe, people kind of make you feel like, well, what's the point in being here? Yeah. Because the people I talk to, they still like the movies. They still read the fanfic. But at the same time, they're just like, well, I moved on to other things. And I kind of get it. Like, there's no reason sticking around. Nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody validates your work. 
you know, it's hard to find people to have good conversations with or who, where you can like really delve into a particular shit. Yeah. And there's actually like, there's a few stories like Kabri Mitchson that are so well written. Nobody reads them. Yeah. There's one out there. It's really interesting. It's a story about Aubrey and Bumper as friends. And it's probably the best pitch perfect story that I have really ever read. I mean, they're not really friends. They're kind of more like enemies that tolerate each other, but at the same time hate each other. I've never talked to anybody else who has even heard of it. What's it so called? It's crazy to me. The kids aren't all right. Me and that author actually co-wrote a few Mitchison fics together too. Yeah, I think it's quite a challenge, especially with ships like Corby, which are not as popular and not as well known. Because writing a fic, it's hard. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> it really does. There's not a whole lot of people to talk about it with in the fandom. I mean, besides the Discord chat that I have where I feel like most of the Cobry shippers are already there now. <laughs> You're gathering them all in. <laughs> There's like a good five or six of us. I mean, what would you like to see in the future? Because obviously it's not as well known. You've got Corbury Week. If they were starting out trying to understand Corbury and get into it, where's a good place to start? I think that they should come and visit the Cobry Week blog because we've actually been talking about hosting more events that aren't quite as time-consuming or challenging as Cobry Week. Like in December, we're going to do the 25 headcanons of Cobry, where every day there's going to be a different topic and you can go into the Ask box and post what your headcanon on that specific topic is. So I think that could get people a little more interested and show them where to start out and where all the fans are hanging out and who they can talk to and what stories they can read. Definitely. I'll be fascinated with that. Yeah, and I think we have a good six or seven events planned now for 2021. You guys are so well organized. You've got like all this stuff prepared to kind of keep keep the love of Corbury alive. And it means that sort of new people can come along and kind of really delve into it. Yeah, and it's great because we've seen a few new people come in after Cobry Week happened. They started to get a little bit more involved. As we're sort of wrapping up, I really appreciate the time that you've taken to speak to me today and, and kind of from somebody who's never really like done Corbury to sort of delve into this new ship and, and everything going on with that. It's been fascinating to kind of hear from you and your perspectives and everything. I love that there's more people out there that are considering multi-shipping now and giving it a chance. And I love how like it just can give like a new spin on a character or allow you to delve into Pitch Perfect in a completely different way. Like... I never really thought about Corbury till I read a few fics. And then if you watch Pitch Perfect 1 and just look for that, you can see it. Like, you can just draw it out from the little things that happen and you can almost see the movie in a completely different light. Yeah, I always thought it was interesting watching Pitch Perfect 1 that more people didn't see that right off the bat because that was the first thing that I ended up seeing through that movie. How can people kind of, if they want to connect with you or they want to see your fan fiction, where's the best place they can do that? Uh, my fan fiction is only on fanfiction.net. It's under the name Rabidnar. On Tumblr, I'm hands in Bitches, And then on Twitter, I'm also Rabidnar. And I also have a Cabri Discord that people are more than welcome to send me a message and ask to join. You can find all the Cabri fans in the Cabri Discord. Yeah, like I said, there's actually a good like five or six now. There's a lot of us. 
And I, so I sort of dove into the Discord and I love it because you've also got like different ships. So anybody who is interested in lots of different ones, you can find out a lot there and, and find people who are interested in those ships as well. Yeah, we also talk a lot about Mitchson and a lot about Triple Trouble and then a lot about just Chloe, Aubrey and Becca as their own people. So if they want to follow that, just type in Corbury Week and you'll be keeping people up to date with all the up and coming events and things that are coming out on there. Yeah, I'm about to announce um, the December event at the end of this month. I'm going to be asking people to send me the topics that they want to hear about so I can compile a list. So at the end of this month, hopefully everybody listening to this will be sending me all of their ideas. To get thinking now, that's it. Well, I've really appreciated speaking to you today and kind of delving into the uh, the relationship of Chloe and Aubrey and Chalbury. It's been fascinating. It was really great talking to you and being able to talk about it. Okay, so keeping to our Corbury theme, all of our highlighted fix this week are going to be Corbury fix. So to kind of get myself into the world of Corbury, I've been trying to read a lot of fix. And I've also been asking for your input as to the types of fix that I should read. What are some of your favourite Corbury fix, favourite moments, things like that from fan fiction that we could highlight today. And some of you sent in your own fix. Some of you suggested stuff that you loved. I also went on to AO3 and fanfiction.net. So on AO3, I actually did the search to see which fic received the most kudos of all the fix. So I got to go through and see which Corbury fix have been the most liked. And I'm going to share some of that with you today as well. So there's loads to read, but these are just, just a few little highlights I've enjoyed as I've been getting into the world of Chloe and Aubrey. Starting off, as was mentioned in the discussion with Hands in Akabiches, the series Dixie Chick Serious, which features three fix, is available on AO3 and it's written by Raccoon Titties. It's three cute one shots that cover the world of Chloe and Aubrey. I loved this fic as a great place to start with Corbury because it kind of centres around them from their first year at Barden. And the last fic of the series is kind of after the ICCA. So it's all centred around Barden, but you don't actually cover Pitch Perfect 1. This is kind of set either side of that. And seeing how the two personalities, you've got Aubrey, who's very uptight, very organised, very focused, basically with a really very clear path of how she wants to get through Barden. And then you've got Chloe, who's going with the flow, who's quite open, just all over the place really kind of just throwing Aubrey off a little bit. And the first two fix of the series just kind of deal with the two different perspectives of their personality and how they kind of ended up in this relationship with each other. It's a very cute set of stories to read. And I loved just kind of seeing how the author placed these two different personalities and how they played off each other. So that's like a really early fic in the fandom. It was written back in 2013. Jumping ahead to 2020 and a figure that was written this year featuring Corbury was suggested to me on Twitter. It's called So Why Don't We Go Somewhere Only We Know by TMYLM. And the summary says each broken hearted Chloe and Aubrey find a little more comfort in one another at the retreat than intended. 
It's set during Pitch Perfect 2, but taking liberties of, of some of the characters and their relationships. So there's like little similarities there, but it also veers off in places. I feel like if you've never really gone into Corbury before, and maybe you're coming from a different ship in the Pitch Perfect fandom, maybe you're into the Chloe or Strawberry, then this might be a fic to kind of ease you in. You've got Chloe, who is obsessed with Becca and the unrequited love. She's never told Becca how she feels. Becca's with Jesse. So you get this whole heap of heartbreak from Chloe's perspective, which you get a lot in the Chloe fix. One of them's pining in some sort of way. But instead of it resolving in a Chloe ending it resolves itself in a different way and maybe Chloe finds love in a different place. The same time, Aubrey is in a relationship with Stacy. That's an established relationship. However, it's falling apart because Stacy's sleeping with other people. And so you have a very broken-hearted Aubrey at the same time. And it's really interesting how the authors decided to take these two ships, but Chloe and Strawberry, and kind of break them down and give us a load of angst there that normally isn't directed at the partners of those ships, but because it is in this story, we find Chloe and Aubrey in such a broken-hearted state and them actually realising and finding each other through the difficulties of that. There is a bit of smut in there, so just be warning, it's more mature fic, but I really like the way it really played on the different ships in the fandom, and as a Chloe shipper, it was kind of a really lovely ease in to seeing these characters in a different light and maybe dealing with situations that we would have read in, say, a Chloe fic or a Strawberry fic. But instead of it being resolved in those couples, we're finding these two broken characters coming together and finding a resolution with each other. So it was really, really interesting kind of how that all just played out. And I really enjoyed that as a, as a completely different take on not only sort of, they say, but Chloe and Strawberry, but also Corbury as well. If you're looking for something a little bit deeper to get into, maybe a multi-chapter fic, there's a fic on fanfiction.net called The Big C by Orange Green. The summary says, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you have cancer. Chloe blinked once, twice, three times before the doctor's words are finally registered. It was the last thing she had expected. She was barely 30 with established Chawbury. And it kind of throws you right in there at the very beginning of the fit. There's no messing around. And so instead of like having a Corbury fic where it's about how their relationship gets together, this one they're already set up. They're already kind of married. And so it's interesting sort of seeing them already knowing each other in a loving relationship and then throwing something like cancer into the mix and seeing how these characters deal with something as heavy as that. It's heartbreaking at times, as you would expect with a story about cancer, but also how that puts a strain on their relationship and how each character deals with this in a different way. And I loved that because I think that's quite realistic in understanding, I think, when a family has to go through a trial like this, that each member of that family is going to deal with it in a different way, especially the couple, and whether that's going to draw them closer together or kind of push them further away from each other. I thought the author had dealt with such a difficult topic quite well, um, with a good amount of sensitivity, and also just kind of being honest with the fact that, yes, there's going to be times when something like this is going to really, really rock a couple, rock a family, 
and how each individual member of that family is going to get through this. You have to read to find out what happens in the end. Another completely different take is a fic called From a Great and Gruesome Height by Electrum Queen. It's on AO3 and the summary just says Chloe doesn't do unrequited. That's it. That's all the information you're getting. This is another early Pitch Perfect fic from 2012. Wow, we're like going right back with this one. And it centres around Chloe having unrequited feelings for Becca and how potentially some of that is reciprocated. But what's really interesting is it's a short one shot and it takes moments from Pitch Perfect 1. This is playing out through the Pitch Perfect 1 timeline. It kind of plays off of Chloe and Becca's relationship and what you see from the movies, but also understanding that she ends up with Jesse in the end. That's kind of what happens. So how does that affect Chloe? But what's really interesting is you read through the story, it then comes to light, it suddenly kind of gets to your mind the fact that Aubrey has been there the whole time and has been involved in some ways during the film. Things have happened during the story that until later on in the film you didn't realise that Aubrey was involved and maybe had a hand in how things turned out. And so, like, it really throws you off when that moment happens and you're like, oh my word, am I really reading a Corbrey fic? Because this feels like a Bacloe. It's really painful in moments, especially near the end when everything comes to light and you're just like, what is happening? It gets a bit messy and slightly heartbreaking in places because of maybe decisions that characters have made through this story. And it all kind of comes to a head when truths come out and it turns out that Aubrey's in the centre of that the whole time. But what's really interesting with the way that this story plays out, it's almost like it's taking moments from Pitch Perfect 1, although it doesn't necessarily say in the thick, it just it's what it feels like. And the fact that maybe Aubrey has unrequited feelings for Chloe and never really expressed them very well. And so it comes out in other ways. And she'll constantly use it as a way of saying, I don't want her to hurt you, like, I want you to be okay. But in reality, all of this is, is because Aubrey has feelings for Chloe. Seeing them both, I think, coming to the realisation of their feelings for each other is really fascinating in this story. And there's a lot of sort of playing on the characters and stuff. So I just thought it was fascinating. It's a fascinating insight into these characters that I've never kind of seen in those lights and some of the decisions they make. It's a weird story, but also just amazing how it's kind of all tied together in the end. Because when I started reading it, I was like, well, this is supposed to be a Corbury fic, but I don't feel like I'm reading one. And then it just twists it all around. And I was taken completely by surprise. And the final story that I wanted to share with you today is called Cinnamon Lipstick, written by Sendrick Camp. The summary says, Aubrey read somewhere that if a crush lasts... More than four months, it is love. This is a multi-chapter fic that's all finished and it's really basically telling the story of Chloe and Aubrey from the time they started Barden up to the end, kind of how they got to know each other and how their friendship grew and the relationship kind of came through that. Especially at the beginning of the story, the first few chapters... I loved the way that the author had written Aubrey. This is another early fic. This is back in sort of 2012. And one of the things that kind of really stuck with me when I was reading this is it just felt like the author really got Aubrey and her relationship with her dad. We get those little glimpses in Pitch Perfect 1 of 
how her dad's involvement in her life has kind of shaped her into the person she is today. She's very regimented. She struggles to kind of deviate from that plan in any way. And how coming to Barden maybe freed her up a little bit, gave her a space because suddenly she's away from her family where she has to make decisions for herself. And so sometimes she gets to choose things that maybe her father wouldn't have chosen her for her to do. But because this is spanning over the time of Barden, you, you kind of see her having that conflict between the times when she has to go home and be opposing and then the times when she's feeling out herself and the type of life she wants to live. And what I loved is how the author then took Chloe to kind of help open Aubrey's eyes and free her up to kind of explore who she wanted to be, not who her dad wanted to be. So what I loved about this was you see kind of Chloe's courage and how she really wants to be there for Aubrey. And so sometimes she has to like be the friend to give advice to Aubrey that maybe her dad's not going to like, maybe it's going to be a really tough decision, but she cares about Aubrey and she cares about Aubrey's well-being. And so with all of these kind of struggles that they have to do with their families and stuff like that you see how they then play out together and how they grow as a couple as friendship throughout the story and obviously different trials that come up through their time at Barden it was really lovely to read a fic that kind of dealt with especially the times before their senior year and how they kind of got to that point and then how the sort of senior year played out to the end of the story it was a really lovely way of kind of buying into Corbury as a couple. I could totally see this playing out. I really thoroughly enjoyed reading that. Those are my Corbury highlights this week. And of course, there are so many more stories you could read for Corbury. Those are just a few that I picked out. I hope you enjoyed this episode today and our deep dive into the world of Corbury. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to keep up to date with the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate the time that you take to listen to our rambles about Pitch Perfect. It's fantastic. If you want to get hold of me, I am on Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as Pitchlapped. You can find us all there. And a big thank you to Jalicia, aka Hansi Nakabitches on Tumblr and Rabidnar on fanfiction.net for helping us open up the world of Corbury. And not only did I speak to Jalicia about Corbury, but also her writing on fanfiction.net, because she's written the big fic called Matters of the Heart. And so next episode, we'll be delving into her fanfiction and her writing and kind of learning a little bit more about the crazy journey she's been on with her eight-year fic. That's it from me this week. I'll see you next time.